Welcome to the SPO Great Music Podcast, brought to you by the Scarborough Philharmonic Orchestra, entertaining and serving our community and the greater Toronto area for more than four decades. Now our host, Dr. Daniel Metazada. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the SPO Great Music Podcast. My name is Ronald Royer music director and conductor of the Scarborough Philharmonic Orchestra. And I will be your guest host for this 13th podcast episode, The Art of Composing Music for Animated Films, Part 1. Composing music for an animated film is a creative process, but it is also complex and technically challenging. To explain this process, we will go behind the scenes with two composers who have experience in the field, Bruno D'Agazio and Jim McGraw. As well, I have had experience in industry as a cellist performing on film scores in Los Angeles earlier in my career and as a composer and conductor here in Toronto. This podcast is part of a SPL YouTube project which includes Sheridan College student animated short films with music created by SPL related composers. I will also host the next podcast which will be the art of composing music for animated films part two. For this episode, we'll look at the history of composing music for cartoons from Walt Disney's early developments in the field to present day work in the industry. We will be interviewing the noted musicologist Daniel Goldmark, who wrote the book, Tunes for Tunes, Music and the Hollywood Cartoon. To start, I would like to know, we will be discussing music for both animated films where the characters are drawn and live action films where the characters are played by real actors. For the composer, a fundamental difference can be explained by a quote from Mark Mancina, a noted film composer and music producer. Quote, when you do an animated movie, it's hard because you're not only scoring the same way you score a normal movie, but you're having to bring a certain sense of realness and humanness to characters that are animated. Bruno D'Agazio will now be joining us. He is professor of digital tools in the classical animation program of Sheridan College, recently voted top animation school worldwide by Animation Career Review magazine. He has extensive experience in cinematic sound design, including special effects for the Oscar-nominated documentary film The Fires of Kuwait, and music for the IMAX films Titanica and Cyberworld 3D as well as many other films and television dramas. He has composed music for many Sheridan College student animated films. As a researcher in computer applications for the arts, he has published papers on music composition using fractals and genetic algorithms. He is the author of The Transformation Engine, a software system for music composition and data sonification. The SPL has been fortunate to have Bruno D'Agazio as part of our community for several years now. For this season, he has been involved as a composer, as a recording engineer, helping to edit audio recordings for SPL YouTube videos, and as a curator of our Sheridan College Animated Shorts project. Welcome, Bruno. Thank you, Ron. Great to be here. Let's start by discussing the process of composing music for an animated film. There are different types, including old-style cartoons such as Bugs Bunny, Tom and Jerry, or the Animaniacs. 
comedies such as The Simpsons, South Park, or SpongeBob, dramatic action hero animations such as Batman or Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, feature animated films such as Incredibles, Up, or How to Train Your Dragon, and feature film animated musicals such as Frozen, The Lion King, or Beauty and the Beast. We should also mention that films, and that includes animated films, are collaborative in nature. Consequently, it is common, especially for bigger commercial projects, that the music will be worked on and influenced by a number of people. Bruno, at what points of the filmmaking process does a composer or composers become involved? Um, well, there are a couple of different answers to that question, Ron. Uh, the usual process in live action filmmaking anyway, but and animation is more and more converging in its methodology and its workflow towards similar techniques and processes as live action filmmaking. In that usual way of working, the composer comes in very near the end of the project. Uh, in fact, I usually tell my students that um, it's usually the last important creative contribution to the film uh, that comes in is, is the score, the musical score. Uh, now that's underscore, which is added to the, you know, more or less to the finished film. But uh, the other answer to your question is when the film is a musical, meaning, you know, a song and dance type of traditional musical. And in that case, the music has to be recorded before any of the live action shooting or any of the animation begins, because obviously the singers and the uh, and the dancing and the uh, and the animated characters singing and dancing and so on all have to be precisely synchronized to the music which which is is composed and recorded first in that case great when a composer writes a song for an animated film are other people involved uh well specifically do you mean specifically songwriting in a film or any type of music basically a, a song a, a song okay so in that in that genre of of film music on a small sort of personal film, uh, a short maybe made by one, a single person or, or a very small crew, then it could quite likely be the composer himself is the musician in the project and does every stage of the process, including perhaps the songwriting. By songwriting, I mean the lyric writing of the song and not just the music. Uh, and then also the later stages, maybe some aspects of the performance and, and sometimes even some of the technical stuff like the uh, mixing the combining of the music with the dialogue and other sound effects. But in a big film, full-scale filmmaking is very much a collaborative art form with many, many people involved. So in that case, there could be a specially hired lyricist or a songwriter who's accustomed to writing both words and music uh, to collaborate with the composer. Uh, the director will definitely have a say, and often the writer of the script will definitely have a say in the content of the song because the songs usually are meant to further the action somehow, the story of the film, to move the story to the next stage. And really, it's the writer and the director who are the authorities on that in, in a film production. Then later, after the big creative decisions are made, the music's perhaps recorded, then it has to get inserted into the film by a music editor, maybe under the direction of a music supervisor, an overall music supervisor for the entire film. And then downstream from there, it'll get mixed in with the other sounds of the film to produce what we call the soundtrack, that artifact at the end that is the complete soundtrack. When that many people are involved, it does make the creative process a little bit more complex. When it comes time to create the film score, let's talk about the process. 
Usually the first step is called the spotting session. Who is involved and what are they spotting? The spotting session is very important. It's really the creative musical design of the film occurs in the spotting session. It's a funny term, spotting session, but basically it's a meeting uh, between the composer and the director, essentially. There might be other people involved, but the essence of it usually comes about between the composer and the director sitting down with the film in a rough cut version, usually uh, not finished. That is uh, uh, the film's you know, far from finished, but it's assembled. Let's say it's been partially produced and it's sitting on, on the computer nowadays in, in rough form. And after a sort of preliminary discussion, hopefully a lot of this should happen really before even the spotting session, which is a discussion of the genres of music that you want to use, you know, what's the overall approach? Is it going to be, you know, a classical sort of uh, orchestra uh, uh, underscoring uh, film scoring style, or is it going to be more in the nature of popular music or whatever? The, the broad questions hopefully will be discussed and answered before the spotting session per, per se. The budget of the film, you know, should be discussed first. How much money have we got? Do we have money for, for a, a 30 or 50 piece orchestra? Those sort of questions, preliminary. But then when the spotting session proper occurs, you sit down with the director, start at beginning of the film and go through it, you know, uh, second by second, really, sometimes almost frame by frame. And the important question, in my opinion, and this is what I teach my students too when we do it, well, there are two important questions. Where should the music start and where should the music stop? Every time that the film needs music. And I've noticed good directors will always have this in mind already. They'll say, you know, we really want the music cue to start right there after that character says, we're off to see the wizard. And right after the word wizard, that's when the music cue should start. And a good director will know that. They'll have that all sort of rolling around in their imaginations, sometimes for months ahead of the actual session. And a good composer, too, will be able to suggest points like that. Also, it's just about equally important, as I said, that you have to figure out, okay, where's the music cue going to end? Sometimes it's harder to end a music cue than it is to begin it. Very often you want to end it surreptitiously. You don't want to note the ending, but sometimes you do. Sometimes the ending is, has a dramatic punch to it that needs to be specifically placed in relation to the action, to the story, really. It's all about the story. Next, let's discuss the different ways music can be used in an animated film score. In particular, how can music enhance the film? Music is quite important. It has a unique versatility as an adjunct to the film narrative because it can do so many different things. It's really very versatile. Uh, one obvious use of music that goes back to the early days of music in animated film, the, you know, the early Mickey Mouse cartoons and the Bugs Bunnies and Daffy Ducks and you know, all the classic stuff is um, sort of generically, you might call it emphasis of movement. Uh, and that's where the music is very precisely synchronized to the, the movements of the characters. Think of Mickey Mouse and Goofy in a suspenseful scene and they're tiptoeing through a dark hallway. And on every footfall, the orchestra gives a little mysterious musical hit in rhythm with their footsteps. That sort of approach became very popular in the early days of synchronized sound movies, you know, in the 1930s, the first sound movies, to the point where it became overused and a derogatory term came about called Mickey Mousing, where if that approach, that sort of tight synchronization between the movements of the characters and the activity in the music became overused, Mickey Mousing became sort of a, a bad word. It's still done, though. 
it, it, it was overdone, in my opinion, too. If you watch some of those old 1930s uh, animated films, it's like, you know, they had a new toy. They could synchronize the music right to the frame and they wanted to do it on every single frame sometimes, it seems. So it was overused. Now, there's still that sort of classic style of cartoon music in Animaniacs, like you mentioned, uh, where Mickey Mousing is still very common. So that's one way in which music enhances the, uh, the film. Another one sort of along the same lines uh, has to do with uh, stylization of real sounds, of the sounds of nature. It's pretty common, really, for a uh, classic animated film. Musical effect would be a zing or a slide whistle for an object being thrown or flying across the screen. Again, it's tight synchronization, but the musical effect somehow underlines, brings out, and makes more comedic as well, makes it funnier. In that same vein, sometimes you hear interesting musical depictions of a storm, perhaps. Uh, the thunder crashes being emphasized with cymbal crashes. I've also seen cymbal crashes used for big waves in a stormy ocean scene. You know, that sort of thing, the music can really help to stylize the natural activity that's visible on screen. Continuing on this theme, because music is really so versatile as an aid in storytelling. Another way that music can help the storytelling in a film, animated or otherwise, is uh, it can be a very succinct and elegant way to tell the audience where the scene you're about to watch is taking place. As soon as you hear that little bit of La Vie en Rose, you know, that Edith Piaf song about Paris, you'd, you'd only need those first few notes and right away you know, okay, this next scene is set in Paris. Or another standby in, in the Warner Brothers cartoons was uh, hearing a little fragment of Dixie, which is sort of the anthem of the American South, or sometimes Yellow Rose of Texas, or other folk songs associated with the Southern U.S., then you'd know, you'd, the audience would know right away, we're in the South. Um, and it's, uh, it aids the storytelling, because yes, you can always just say that, have a character tell you that, or put a sign up visually on the screen, but when you can use, you know, another mode of communication, it makes the whole thing more artful and, uh, and elegant, in my opinion. A couple more that maybe audiences perceive more as, as the reason that music is in a film has to do with the emotion, the feelings that people feel, the emotional quality of two different sides of the filmmaking experience. First of all, uh, music can often underline the emotion that a character in the film is experiencing. Sticking to, you know, the cartoon approach, maybe uh, a character has gotten really frustrated by something, you know, like just think of the Roadrunner and the Coyote. The Coyote's really frustrated because he could just never get it right. And, uh, and he's ready to blow his top and you might hear a big orchestra swell indicating that he's ready to explode. So in that case, the music is communicating to the audience what the character is feeling. It works probably nearly as often in the other direction where the music is telling the audience what they should be feeling about the character, not necessarily what the character his, himself is feeling. One example that makes it sort of obvious is uh, in those classic era cartoons, sometimes the characters were quite violent to one another. Uh, they do things to one another that you would never do in real life to another human being. And the stories can be quite harsh sometimes too. That sort of seems to be part of the humor sometimes. So, especially with a naive audience, an audience that doesn't know the style already, you sort of have to tell the audience it's okay to laugh. This is fun. This is funny. This is comedy. This is not serious. Those characters, you know, the character who's, who gets a, a piano dropped on his head from a third story of a building or something, that character didn't really get crushed to death. 
he's going to stand up and start talking again just a few seconds later. So it's really to tell the audience how to feel about what they're watching. And then another one that's sort of important, I'll wrap up my, my little dissertation here with, th with this point, that the enhancement of formal structure is often very much helped with music. And I'll go to live action for this. I actually could apply to animated films too, but especially with feature films, is the opening title sequence, often with a big musical score that can be almost like an overture to the story that's about to follow. And those few minutes of music are sort of transitional movement to take the audience from the real world, you know, their cares about their family and their jobs and politics and whatever, drop all that and enter into the imaginative world of the story that is about to start. And the music carries you through that. That was the reason for overtures in operas and ballets. And nowadays, very often we do it with a fairly elaborate music cue right at the beginning of a film, often underneath the opening titles or some other initial scene of the film that sort of states the, the themes that you're about to see. Likewise, at the end of a film, again, we almost always have sometimes quite a long closing music cue underneath the closing credits, which in animated films these days can go on for 10 minutes because there's so many thousands of people working on them. Uh, still, it's a, again, it's a transition. It takes you out of the world of the story that has now wrapped up and gently returns you to the real world. Those transitional functions are important in the aesthetic of, of film watching, and they also enhance the formal structure. They define the beginning and ending of the film, and other internal structure of the film can also be supported by, by music. Thank you very much, Bruno. This is a, a very interesting list. It's truly amazing all the different ways music can really enhance an animated film. Let's discuss some other types of music that can be found in animated films, including music for comedy, such as The Simpsons, or for a feature-length action hero film, such as The Incredibles. I will start by reading a quote from Alf Clausen, the composer, for all the episodes of The Simpsons from 1990 to 2017, an amazing amount of work and quite an achievement. Here, Alf talks about the beginning of the run and what the producer and creator of The Simpsons, Matt Groening, was looking for musically. Matt Groening and company told me in our first meeting that it's not a cartoon, it's a drama where the characters are drawn. And when in doubt, he said, score like a drama not like a cartoon, not to Mickey Mouse everything. Matt was the one who made the request for the acoustic orchestra. He said, I hate electronics. I think they cheapen the sound. I want the real orchestra. I have an old friend that came up with the phrase, you can't vaudeville vaudeville. That has also served me really well on The Simpsons. The producers keep saying, we don't want the music to comment on the scene. We don't want the music itself to be funny. I'm always in agreement with that. We kind of joke in some of the spotting sessions about how the more serious I can play the music, according to the way the motion is laid out, the more we pull the audience in and make them think that the situation is real. Then boom, all of a sudden the gag comes and it becomes twice as funny than if I had tried to set up something leading up to the fact that there was going to be a gag really interesting insight to his thinking for scoring The Simpsons and the team's thinking. Well, I think Alf Clausen said it there pretty clearly that uh, a modern style of animated comedy, 
like The Simpsons and so on, really is uh, handled more, much more like a live action bit of drama might be. You don't Mickey Mouse it so much, if at all, almost none at all in The Simpsons, except in the rare occasion when they're actually attempting to parody that classic cartoon style. Uh, now and then you, you hear a little bit of that in The Simpsons, but that's the sort of postmodernist thing where they're, they're always quoting other styles and sort of trying to do a meta style on top of the old style and that sort of, you know, playing around. But it really is much more like live action. And there's, um, there's a convergence happening, you know, because animation uh, is so, becomes so widespread. And I'm not, uh, I don't mean just cartoon style animation, but um, uh, a film like, uh, um, you know, Lord of the Rings has so much animated content in it that in a lot of ways, even though it has you know, plenty of live action actors visible, there's still a lot of animation. Almost every scene has all kinds of animation in it, even more so nowadays with the, those, um, with the superhero films that are so popular now. Those are really animated films using live action you know, actors' faces sort of inserted on those computer-generated bodies. So, so because of this convergence, I think the, the, the broader style, the more generic style of film music, which has always been the live-action dramatic style, not the cartoon Mickey Mousing approach, that more generic style is, is now becoming much more common, even in, in animated content. Especially for feature-length animated films, there will be a number of people involved in creating and developing the music. Can you discuss some of the jobs people can have? Oh, yeah, okay. In, the, uh, in a large-scale film production, there's a lot of people involved in every aspect of, the, of filmmaking, but specifically on the music and soundtrack side of things. Of course, you have the composer, but they are supported. Uh, well, we talked earlier a little bit about songwriters or lyricists in the case of a film score that requires actual songs or requires some sung material. There might be a lyricist involved. But even if not, the composer will generally hand off his rough scores to an orchestrator in order to be fully orchestrated and then from there to a copyist to turn the scores into individual uh, sheet music parts for the orchestra players or the ensemble players, whatever sort of group it is. Well, then, of course, the musicians have to be brought in to a recording studio and the actual music recorded. But that's still not the end of the process. That's really just the beginning of getting it into the film. Because with all of that, you've got hopefully beautiful sounding orchestra music on a tape in your hand. Now what do you do with it? It's still got to be put into the film and combined with all the other sound in the film to produce the soundtrack. Most importantly, in most cases, the dialogue. You know, those actors' voices are generally the primary thing that everyone wants the audience to hear. The producers, the writers, the director, it's about hearing what the, what the characters say to one another, mostly. And the orchestra score has to support that without getting in the way of that. So all of that is part of the art of mixing. And eventually they all get combined and turned into that big, rich, beautiful soundtrack we hear in the movie theater or, or on our, our home movie theaters these days. Can you give us a short overview of the animation and film scoring programs at Sheridan College? Um, sure. Sheridan College is an arts-oriented college in the GTA, the Greater Toronto Area. And it has a long history in supporting the education of animators going back to 1967, I think. We had a 50th anniversary fairly recently. It's the oldest uh, animation program in North America, to my knowledge, and maybe in the whole world. Currently, there are actually two animation programs there. There's a four-year-long undergrad program 
called the Bachelor of Animation Arts. So it's BAA. And there's also a graduate level program, not a degree, mind you, it's just a diploma, but it is meant as a further year or two years, depending on the specialties you choose, in computer-based animation. The first program I mentioned, the, the BAA undergrad program, is what's called a classical animation program. The students learn to animate the old-fashioned way by drawing. They do a, a lot of drawing. And that has turned out to be a hugely valuable educational technique because the students learn the inner spirit of animation, you know, one line at a time as they, as they put it down on paper or these days on a computer screen. Uh, so those are the animation programs, those two programs. There is a film scoring program that's uh, much newer. It's only been around about five years now. It's called the uh, Music Scoring for Stage and Screen, MSSS. The stage and screen mentioned in the program name refer to the fact that that music scoring program is uh, tightly integrated into both the music theater program at Sheridan, that's the stage side of it, and the animation program at Sheridan, and that's the screen side of it. So musicians enrolling in that um, film scoring program do work collaboratively, both with live stage productions for music theater in one part of their year-long program, and in, in another part, they work with animators in our animation programs. You are also the curator of our Sheridan College Animated Shorts Project with music composed by SPO-related composers. Can you tell us about this project? Yes. So these are actual student films taken from our graduating year over a number of years. So they're very highly skilled at that point. And the, some of the films are really fantastic. We've had many award-winning films coming out of our college graduates. So we've handpicked a number of those and distributed them to various composers like yourself, Ron. You've done uh, several of these, uh, and I have too. And, and many of the composers and uh, musicians associated with the SPO to, to write new music for these for live performance with the orchestra. And as you mentioned, we, we've done quite a number of those live, performed live on stage in the orchestra. Uh, we can't do that this year, though. So uh, so we've taken a bunch of those and had some of those re-recorded so that we could present them on YouTube and others freshly scored by by younger composers who have come into, uh, into our uh, composer community with the orchestra. Composers for the Sheridan College Animated Shorts Project have included more established composers like you and me, but also a group of very talented younger composers who are in the early stages of their careers or still in university. Several of these composers have studied at the University of Toronto Faculty of Music and took a course on film composition taught by Eric Robertson, who is an excellent film composer. You have an involvement in this class. Can you tell us about it? Um, sure. There's a course at the University of Toronto called the Film Composition Course, I believe is the name of it. The way they do things sometimes at U of T, uh, the one course satisfies students, I think from second year undergrads right up to PhD students, all in the same course. And they're just, they just handle the, uh, the film scoring assignments uh, in a way suitable to their own level of expertise. And Sheridan has been connected with that course I think right from the very first year it was offered, nearly 15 years ago now, Christos Hatzis, actually, who was teaching the course in the first year or two before Eric Robertson took over, Christos uh, actually reached out to me at Sheridan to see if I could connect his film scoring students with some animated content from my students. 
and they could work creatively and collaborate on musical scores for the animated films. And that worked out well in that very first year and has continued ever since. In fact, Sheridan College and the University of Toronto have a memorandum of understanding to continue this relationship. And we've had many, many successes with that. All student work, but some of it, you know, really fabulous. It's been nice that the SPO has been able to support that as well and tie into that. Animated shorts on the SPO's YouTube channel and the other ones that we've played live as well were offshoots of this relationship with the U of T music faculty as well. I would like to mention that Bruno's music can be found on the SPO's YouTube channel, both film scores for Sheridan College shorts and some of his concert music. I encourage you to check it out. Thank you so much, Bruno. It has been a pleasure having you on this podcast. Thank you for giving me the platform to speak a little bit about animation and music. Wonderful. Okay, talk soon. Bye. <laughs> Adios, amigos. Ah, I know you'd come around, my love. How about a kiss? Hello? Hola, senorita. Hello! And now, we will talk to Jim McGraw. Jim is a Toronto-based composer best known for his television work, which includes the critically acclaimed series Degrassi, The Next Generation, CBC's Republic of Doyle, and The Kids in the Hall's Death Comes to Town. Film work includes Think Films, The Last Mogul, The Life and Times of Lou Wasserman, Alliance Atlantis film Full Proof, starring Jeff Reynolds, Columbia TriStar thriller Resurrection, and Odeon's Tweed Murray, which was nominated for five Genie Awards, including Best Picture and Outstanding Achievement in Music. Jim has orchestrated and conducted film scores with the Munich Symphony, the Salt Lake Symphony, the London Philharmonia, and the City of Prague Philharmonic. Jim also has written extensively for the concert stage. His compositions have been performed by a wide range of ensembles, including Ottawa's 13 Strings, the Montreal Chamber Orchestra, the Kitchener-Waterloo Symphony, the Hamilton Philharmonic, True North Brass, the Red Deers Symphony Orchestra, the Mississauga Symphony, the Ontario Philharmonic, and the Scarborough Philharmonic. Welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on our podcast. Oh, hi, Ron. A pleasure to be here. What are some of the differences between composing for an animated film versus a live action film? Um, I, I guess the principal difference is... Um, a stylistic one in that animation, um, like traditional old fashioned animation was of the uh, like Warner Brothers, Bugs Bunny cartoon sort of thing. Then, you know, later on Animaniacs, that sort of thing. So the nature of those, I guess you would call those cartoons as opposed to just animation. And so there was a kind of um, expectation of a sort of antic energy that um, that was required in those things. and. Um, you know, the master of all of that, of course, was Carl Stalling. And certainly for me, 
that was, um, you know, as a kid, that was a very er early influence as far as uh, just my whole introduction to music. I, I learned and heard of classical music through Bugs Bunny cartoons uh, with his all his myriad of quotes and everything. Then uh, I suppose the next historic reference for um, animation scoring was that wonderful uh, trove of Disney um, cartoons such as uh, or animation such as the Jungle Book and um, um, you know that um, that golden era of it. And again, that's where the music. Granted, a lot of that stuff are, were song based, and then the score for the animation is in between the songs. Um, so, but then as we move into um, the more modern era, which is uh, both the modern era of Disney films like. Um, you know, Beauty and the Beast, and and then later on Frozen and stuff. Suddenly, there seems to there gets to be very little difference between scoring animation and scoring um, live action because they're starting to merge into that orchestral cinematic film scoring language um, and, and leaving behind the sort of antic, uh, madcap almost jazz-oriented um, scoring of that earlier thing. So it, it, I suppose it all depends on, uh, by the way, it's a very long-winded answer, I know, but it has a lot to do with what the sort of genre of the animation is. There are a lot of similarities when composing for an animated or live-action film, especially for full-feature films like The Incredibles, Up, How to Train Your Dragon, and Soul, a film I recently saw. Because you have done so much work in the motion picture and television industry, can you share techniques that are commonly used in film scoring? The interesting thing about animation is that, and someone once said this, you know, that everything in it is false, right? Like, like they have made everything in animation from scratch. There, there's no actual film of a squirrel running up a tree or a man bonking someone over the head with a sledgehammer. It's all created. And so the thing I've always found about scoring for animation is if you use real instruments, in other words, you know, a real woodwind, a real string instrument, a real brass instrument, it suddenly breathes real life into these images um, that are just, you know, pen and paper or, you know, 3D animation or whatever it is. And that is a fascinating thing. Like all of a sudden the, uh, the animation comes alive, you know, with these, with these live human being instruments. Can you give us an idea of timelines for composing music for a film project as well? How long may it take to compose a particular piece of this music? The thing about scoring films or animation is um, like, like from the start, uh, never mind that you know all the complexities of what the concept of the score is. Um, in other words, um, in any film, whether it's animated or live, you you have to begin you know with the filmmakers. Okay, what is the the concept? In other words, is this going to be? Uh, are we going to do like a jazz based sort of thing? Is it going to be evocative of like vintage Ellington, or are we going to do like, for example, in the case of of The Incredibles? Are we going to do like a James Bond kind of thing, you know, a, an early 60s John Barry-esque approach? Or are we going to do, um, you know, in the case of something like, um, you know, Wally, -E, are we just going to do a straight up space opera, um, you know, Star Wars type thing? 
at least when they're when they're in outer space. So once you've both both genres, you need to have an you know your initial concept of what the vocabulary of the music is going to be, which of course influences what the instrumentation is going to be. And then um, the next stage, and this is you know a very important part of it, is called spotting, and that is where you, with the filmmakers, you decide where the music is going to be. You, you find the, the, quote, spots for what the music is, and you have to do that in both things. But as previously mentioned, there's probably going to be a lot more in animation than, than there is in live action. And then a subset of, of the spotting, then, is where and how do you start the piece of music, and where and how do you end the piece of music? And that actually is one of the most important parts of scoring anything. And then, of course, there's a, a, a myriad of ways to do that. Do you sneak in almost imperceptibly? Um, do you jump in with, with, with a bang? And, and similarly, do you go out like with a little whisper or do you go out with a big bang? And and these are the, the, the sort of decisions that you have with the filmmakers. And it's a funny thing. I've often said this with a film cue, beginnings and endings are paramount as far as their effectiveness and how they're going to please the filmmaker. Historically, for a feature film, they say you, you get six weeks is sort of a reasonable amount of time to score a 100 minute or two hour long motion picture. To do a one hour episode of a television series, you might have two weeks. And then for a half hour, you might have one week. So that's the sort of macro view. As far as how long it takes to compose one minute of music, well, Ron, you're a composer, you know. It can either take five minutes or five days. <laughs> it all depends on whether your muse is helping you out, whether you are inspired, whether you whether the pictures inspire you. Um, it's a black art. And I find that there's nothing like a deadline to get that inspiration flowing. But back in the day in Hollywood where, you know, a composer would write out things in pencil and then orchestrate that. They used to say two minutes a day is a reasonable amount to generate. I don't know if you've heard that, Ron, but they used to say that. That's what I've heard, too, that that's generally what you need to do as a film composer. But also, as you mentioned, it really depends on the type of music. If the music is very calm and there's lots of like long and slow notes, it's much easier to write that quickly versus if you have a big action scene where you're having lots of action requiring lots of notes, a full orchestra. And, you know, uh, like John Williams, when you have these big, huge, epic chase or battle scenes and there's a ton of notes, that is much tougher to write two minutes of music a day versus something that's much uh, quieter and calmer. Yeah. I find also, and this is a rather interesting thing, and it, it's actually more important in animation or something in live action, something very motion-oriented. There's a thing that film composers are always looking for, and that is the magic tempo. And what I mean by tempo, I mean the speed or the number of beats per minute. And there's a very interesting thing that happens, and this comes from experience, and it's part of a composer's intuition, is that being able to look at some moving images and feeling like you're watching the images go by and you go, okay, it's about right here. I feel it about right there. And, and there's just something about the rhythm of things or the pace or the tempo of the images. And as a composer, if you can find that, like I said, what we used to call this magic tempo, suddenly it unlocks the whole puzzle, if you will, uh, because suddenly everything starts hitting. And what, what I mean by hitting, it means 
the guy jumps across the bridge and right when he lands on the other side, it hits on a downbeat of music and then he runs and opens the car door and it hits right on a downbeat of the music. And like finding that tempo is, is one of the most important things you need to do. And interestingly in animation, the big cheat, and this is a funny thing, I always feel ashamed every time I do it, but if you do it at 120 beats per minute, it hits everything. It's a funny thing, but I don't know if you've experienced that, Ron, but 120 beats per minute, generally with moving picture, I don't know whether it has to do with frames per second or whatever, but 120 beats per minute hits everything. <laughs> it's funny. Have you heard that? Does that sound familiar to you? Yes. And I thank you for bringing up these points, because I know when you talk to top film composers like yourself, or you, you read about their craft, the great film composers, they are really good at figuring out the right speed for the music. Because if you get it right, everything lines up and it just works. Mm -hmm. And if you get it wrong, <laughs> it doesn't work. But it's a real art. Mm -hmm. I actually did a project, an animated project, that we decided that we wanted to do a classic Carl Stalling type approach to it. So what I did was, there's a wonderful CD, you know, it's called The Carl Stalling Project, that was produced by a fellow that we lost this year um, to COVID-19, Hal Wilner. And I, I sort of being the nerd research that I am, I went through all the Carl Stalling music on this CD and found out what tempos he was using. And I found that many, many of the cues were, like I said, at 120 beats per minute, but they were like this. They'd either be bop, bop. Bop, bop, or they'd be bop, 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 or they'd be bop, 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 bop. But all those subdivisions of 120 were in his music. So he'd be going, you'd listen to it, and it would go bop, 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 And it worked with the action spectacularly. So I use that as a model, scoring my own thing. And sure enough, it worked fantastic. So um, there's a lot to be learned from studying the great classic scores. This is great. And those of you out there who are interested in film composition, there's some really uh, great points. Now, uh, the SPL was fortunate to have you as our composer in residence a few years ago. As part of your work with us, you composed Serenade for Clarinet and Wind Ensemble for concerts and our first commercial recording, Canadian Panorama. This wonderful work has a link to cartoon music. Can you tell us about it? Uh, yes. Well, I, I had, um, you know, it was to be written expressly for uh, clarinet, for, for Cade to, to play it on clarinet. And so, you know, uh, as a composer, you, you think about, well, what does clarinet do really well? And I think of all my favorite, um, you know, clarinet pieces and, and that sort of thing. And you also think of what do woodwinds do particularly well, because it was for a wind ensemble, not strings or anything like that. So I, um, I guess I just happened upon, well, let's, let's try this. I, I wrote this sort of whimsical um, little tune um, that, that as a, a friend of mine said, it sounded like Mozart meets Randy Newman, which was sort of a, a, a funny, um, a funny way of putting it, but I sort of know what he means for at the risk of sounding overly, mu you know, too much musical thing. It was using these chromatic arpeggiatures that gives it a certain whimsy. And so 
with that in mind, I just um, tried to write a piece that was four or five minutes long and um, just stuck with that vocabulary and tried to keep it, like I said, whimsical, playful, uh, melodic, um, and, you know, really show off the clarinet doing doing what clarinet does really well. Well, it's a wonderful composition. And I should mention the clarinetist that you wrote for was my wife, Kay Royer, who's also the principal clarinetist of the Scarborough Philharmonic. And she loves the piece, as do I. And this piece can be heard. You could go to YouTube or Spotify or any of the big uh, platforms and check out Canadian Panorama and the Serenade. So I recommend people uh, listen to this, this really wonderful music of Jim. He has other music on the internet as well. And if you go to our SPO website, we'll have some links to some of your wonderful music. Uh, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today and uh, have a great day. You too, Ron. I would like to mention that Randy Newman is a prominent singer, songwriter, and film composer who has composed music for nine Disney Pixar animated films, including all four Toy Story films, A Bug's Life, both Monsters, Inc.'s films, and two of the Cars films. So, Jim combined elements of classical and film music with his own style to create an original and enjoyable composition. And that's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests Bruno D'Agazio and Jim McGraw for joining us today. And thanks to all of you for listening. Make sure to stay in touch with us at spo.ca and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at SPO Great Music. Congratulations to the SPO and to our digital production team for having been awarded the Canadian Music Center's 2021 John Beckwith Award in Ontario on March 10th for their incredible efforts during this pandemic season. Be sure to join us on Friday, March 26th for the musical offering of the SPO Great Music Performance Series on our YouTube channel. A complete list of performers and titles will be available on our website. The next episode of our podcast series will be available on Friday, April 2nd on your favorite platform. Our executive producer and audio engineer is Devin Scott. Our producer and music director is myself, Ronald Royer. Our podcast host is Dr. Daniel Medizade. The SPL Great Music Podcast is brought to you in part by funding and support from the Toronto Arts Council, uh, the Sokan Foundation, Delta Bingo and Gaming Downsview, our SPO board of directors and SPO donors and volunteers. If you want to add your support, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation online through canadahelps.org or just search for the Scarborough Philharmonic Orchestra. A link is also available on our website homepage, spo.ca. A special thank you to our community partners, Scarborough Arts, Fab Calam, the Canadian Music Center, Stratford Symphony Orchestra, Canadian Sinfonietta, the Brantford Symphony Orchestra, and the Cathedral Bluffs Symphony Orchestra. Share your feedback on Facebook and Twitter at SPO Great Music. Until next time.